SRN Survival Radio Network. We have also 
now launched a, another platform called the Weekly Wellness Channel. Yep, on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and put in Weekly Wellness Channel, you will be able to see some videos of tips with regard to health and wellness. So we've got several platforms that you can follow us on. We want you to stay in the loop, and we want you to be informed. Now, today i got another hot show for you. It's exciting and it's informative. But most of all, i got another dynamic guest. And we're going to be talking about in our first segment, holiday weight gain. Now, we all know intuitively that weight, we kind of gain weight during the holidays theoretically because of all the events and parties and food at work that we have to go to. But Cornell University did a study a while back, and they found that holiday weight gain is real. In fact, they surveyed over 3,000 people, not only in the United States, but in Germany and in Japan, and they found that there was a significant, there was a good bit of weight gain during this time period. Now, half of those people that were surveyed were able to lose the weight after the holiday season, but the other half, it took them five months, five months, almost to Easter before they got back to the weight that they were before during the holidays. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about ways that you can lose weight uh, if you've gained weight during this holiday season. Now, the second segment, we're going to be talking about cervical cancer. You know, January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. About 3,000, I'm sorry, 13,000 women will be diagnosed with cervical cancer this year, and unfortunately, around 4,000 will pass away from this disease. This is data from the American Cancer Society. So in our second segment, we're going to be talking about cervical cancer, its screening, diagnosis, as well as prevention. Now, the beauty of today is I have a guest that's going to be with us throughout the whole show. In the first and second segment, that's Dr. Nadise Gooch. If you've listened to the show, you've heard her before. She always brings some great information and energy to the show. So we're going to do that. But before we go to our first segment, we'll go ahead and take our first commercial break. So, ladies and gentlemen, please stay tuned and be informed. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are a part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget their assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. We're pretty sure my coffee shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop too. iDope, iDope, globally inspired vision stylewear, a fusion of classic heritage and contemporary sophistication. An essential part of your lifestyle and fashion expression. iDope, iDope, vision stylewear for the fashion forward and socially conscious. Let's make this a dope world together. iDope. iDope. Available online at iDope.com. That's E-Y-E-D-O-P-E. iDope. 
www.thebigfoot.com. Survival Radio Network, with now more than one million downloads. Congratulations to the staff, producers, engineers, and hosts for your tireless pursuit of excellence. And thank you, our loyal listeners, for supporting this movement to inspire, motivate, and educate people worldwide. Survival Radio Network, Survival Radio, and our new Survival Sports Radio Network broadcast top-notch shows Sunday through Saturday. Check us out by visiting our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us. SRN, we do radio one million strong. The S-R-N. Welcome back. Welcome back. I hope that you are somewhere uh, warm and safe. Please yield and heed to whatever travel advisories that your local law enforcement and airlines advise you to because we want you to be safe stay warm and stay safe but we're glad that you're now listening to the weekly wellness show your resource for better health here on the survival radio network i am your host dr aaron williams hey in our first segment you know we're going to be talking about we are now talking about weight loss you know during the holidays past several weeks if you're like me there's food everywhere. There's food with family. There's food at work. And that's not counting all the billboards and commercials that you see that kind of tempts you to eat certain things. There's nothing wrong with eating certain things, but sometimes they cannot be good for you. So today we're going to learn about how to lose some of that weight. That's if you gain weight. But first, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. She's not a stranger to the show. She's been on the show. She's talked to us about male breast cancer a while back. And uh, so I'm happy to have her back uh, today, Dr. Denise Gooch. She is a physician in private practice in Maryland. She's a specialist in radiation oncology. She treats cancer patients with radiation therapy. She went to medical school at Georgetown University. And then she did her residency as well as fellowship at the Ohio State University. So, hey, without further ado, let's welcome to the show Dr. Denise Gooch. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. I am so impressed with you. You've done five (laughs) miles this morning. My Um, goodness, you are my hero. That is amazing. (laughs) Well, Dr. Gooch, I tell you, I woke up and I said, you know, know, I alternate. I do uh, cardio one day and weights one day. Mm -hmm. Today was my cardio day. And, you know, uh, for cardio, I usually do my walk and run thing. And uh, I had that split-second decision, like, like, you know, what what you gonna do? And so luckily I've uh you know, had gone out and I prepared, I got me some uh thermal under underwear <laughs> top and I'm bottom. <laughs> and you know, I had my my, my uh you know, uh hoodie on and my and gloves. Goodness. So you know, and, and this may be a topic for a whole other show is, you know, if you're going to work out outside in this kind of weather, you know, how can right. you prevent, you know, frostbite and all the other things and hypothermia that can exactly. happen. But, 
But, yeah, uh, you know, I had to do it. Now, don't get me wrong, Dr. Gooch. I'm probably not. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to admit, yesterday I went ahead and joined the gym. (laughs) You just joined the gym yesterday? (laughs) At least during the winter months, I could do some stuff on the inside. But sometimes, Dr. Gooch, I like to get outside, you know, and like this morning it was cold, but it was fresh air. You got to see, you know, some of the, you know, winter can be a beautiful time of the year depending on where you are. But, yeah, that's what happens. So I appreciate that. But, you know, I I, I, I hope that, you know, uh, I'm not trying to brag, but I think that everyone needs to kind of stay on point if they can. Because of the study I just mentioned, a lot of this weight gain uh, that Cornell talked about, Dr. Gooch, you know, you can gain it, but, goodness, it takes so long to come off. So I'm glad you are able to come on the show today to help us go through some of the ways that we can reduce some of this weight gain. Well, as you just said, plus there was a study at the University of California, San Francisco, and just reading that, it was almost depressing. They said your body is actually designed to crave foods that are high in sugar and high in fat. And especially when it's cold outside, we're actually basically designed to crave these kind of foods. So it's almost working against us. It's the holidays and it's cold outside. So almost, as a matter of fact, some of the studies have shown most adults gain weight during this period. And it's not benign weight gain, as you just said. Really, the uh, National Institutes of Health actually show this extra weight gain most people don't even take it off. So this just adds on yeah. to have those two to five pounds this year, two to five pounds next year, and basically all this weight adds up. And next thing you know, you have adult uh, morbid, uh, obese, obesity secondary to all this weight gain that you've gained through the years that we were never able to get off. I agree. I mean, uh, you're right about that. A lot of the, a lot of that, what we gain, we don't really take off unless we deliberately, and I emphasize the word again, deliberately work very hard to 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 do that. And I don't know, you know. And I started talk about we started talk about this on the weekly wellness show back in the fall because, and basically it was because of me. I, I I know I gained weight starting in the fall and starting in particular through the winter. And this particular study, Dr. Gooch. They found the same thing, that people start gaining weight, not at December, not at Thanksgiving, but they start in October. So It's starting it, to get cold. It's starting to get cold, yeah. Yes, right. So today, you know, I just want to go through some things. You know, I think one of the first things is having, you know, you know, we talked about mindset on this show before. First of all, you've got to have a set realistic goals and realistic mindset right. before you do anything. You know, because, you know, the the, the art uh, or the, 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 the tactic of intention is very important. And I think a lot of studies show that, you know, if you know if you're, you feel that you're overweight, you don't have to lose all the weight within two weeks. But, um, you know, you know this is what I've read, but, I, you know, I'd like to hear what you've also read. What, you know, setting realistic goals and what might some of those be, I mean, as far as how many pounds you should lose per week and that kind of thing. Right. Well, under normal circumstances, um, some of the studies have shown maybe trying to lose one to two pounds a week, but I will be honest with you. One of the studies I read from Jill Corleone, she's a registered dietitian, she actually Mm. recommended don't even try to lose weight during this period because you're setting yourself Mm. up for failure. Just try to maintain your weight. So don't even, even if you were on a weight loss plan for, as you said, from the summer to the fall, and if you start falling off a little bit in October, just try to maintain 
maintain. Stop mm-hmm. doing that one to two pounds per week because all you're going to do is get frustrated and maybe deliberately reward yourself. Remember, we're programmed to want that sugar and that fat. You're going mm-hmm. to basically try to drown your tears in that extra piece of pecan pie. So don't even <laughs> set yourself up for failure. Just I'm accept and just try to maintain. <laughs> I'm from Georgia. I know about that pecan pie. Why you had to mention that, Dr. Goose? But, yeah, that's What's one that of my pie? Just yeah, very exactly. sweet. Well, it's that time of year. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, and the, the other thing I think a lot of people are um, sometimes miss uh, is drinking water. Just something simple as drinking water was another point right. that was brought out. Uh, because theoretically, uh, you know, from what I read, people often mistake thirst for hunger. And right. so a lot of times when you feel that hunger pain, making sure that you are hydrated uh, is probably one of the first things that you should think about. And this study suggests that, you know, sipping water or even like iced tea. I mean, I, I, I ah. like the non-sweetened, even though I grew up in the South and I grew up on sweet tea, but I had to learn right. to back off. Uh, you right. know, at, at some places I go to and I'll tell them, I say, hey, can you make make it half, half sweet, half non-sweet if I got to have that, right. that taste. But that's another way I think that one could 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 also curb this appetite and lose weight is, you know, right. hey, make sure you're hydrated. Drink plenty of water. Absolutely. And I actually saw some excellent suggestions, and mm-hmm. I'll just go through some of them. One of them, yeah. and I have to remember yeah. this myself, they said never arrive to a party hungry. I mean, just oh. think about it. You've been working <laughs> yeah. all day. You're like, you know what, when I get to Susan's party, I'm going to eat, and then I'll be fine. They said don't do that. Have uh-huh. a nutritious, maybe high-protein snack before you get there. You're less likely to overeat versus if you starve yourself all day and then get there because then you're going to overeat. And as you just said, make sure you hydrate. And the other thing is, as you said, maybe before you even start eating, drink a glass of water. And then after you eat, drink another glass of water because, as you said, that will kind of modify the amount of food that you eat. And other right. things, I think we've all heard this, get smaller plates. Yeah. We all know yeah. you go to, they have these buffets and they have these nice dishes. <laughs> Grab a small plate, uh, which is hard to do, especially if you're hungry. So obviously right. it's better if you're not starving when you get there. Grab a smaller plate and actually look over before you start filling your plate. Just look over the entire buffet. Just stop. Look right. everything okay. that's being offered, okay? So just don't get in line and just start going down the line. They just say, survey the buffet. <laughs> exactly. Who does that? But there, that's one of the suggestions. Look over what all of the um, that you have there to eat. And then pick a few of your favorite, uh, favorite foods. If you see mm-hmm. a lot of your, just pick two or three and then fill the rest of your plate with fruits and vegetables. So that way you don't feel deprived and you're less likely to overeat while you're doing this. Exactly. You know, I've heard that as well. You should fill half of your plate with fruit and vegetables. And, Absolutely. Uh, and a quarter of your plate should be like meat. And that shouldn't be like a, a whole lot of meat. It should be like, uh, from what I've read, a deck of cards, the size of a deck of cards, you know, like a chicken right. breast or whatever. Right. And then that other quarter, you know, could be your starch. You know, don't overdo right. it on the rice. Don't do it on, over on the potatoes. And, you know, that, that will be like a good, uh, a broad guideline that you can have in your mind. And one of the other things I read, Dr. Gooch, was if you, if, if you eat more often, uh, studies have shown that people who keep their weight off for several years tend to eat an average of not three, 
but five times a day. Now, let's be clear. We're not talking five (laughs) buffets a day. (laughs) These are light meals or snacks. And the reason they're saying this is because this helps curb your appetite, boost your energy, improves your mood, and even speeds up your metabolism. And so the process of digestion itself burns off calories. So if you can kind of eat more frequently, not of the bad stuff, but of the good (laughs) stuff, you know, you can also help, you know, stimulate your metabolism and burn some of those calories. Right. And remember, this is a, especially if you're invited to a holiday party, this is a party. So don't yeah. see it as just an eating party. See it as an opportunity to go out, interact with your friends, people you haven't seen in a while. Go over and talk to people. That's something else is they actually recommend divert your attention. Don't just go like, oh, yeah, right. where's the food at? And then immediately run to the food bar or to the buffet. Go over, say hello to people, interact with people, walk around, socialize, see it as a social activity. And that in itself lessens the chance of you pretty much overeating because you just came there to just kind of attack the buffet bar. So definitely, as I said, use this as an opportunity to say hello to everyone that you know and just interact with people, talk to the hostess. Kind of try to move away from the buffet bar. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, go over there and talk to the guy or girl in the corner that you hadn't talked to in a while. You know, they exactly. kind, of, kind of like a diversion. Um, Absolutely. Well, the other thing, you know, and, 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 this, and this is still, you know, football season, so there's a lot of tailgating going on. There's still a lot of eating going on. Is, is watch the alcohol. Okay. I, that's what you know. That's the big one. <laughs> yeah, that's the big that's one. The big you one. know, you know. I, I think what I've from what I've read, alcohol is a source of a lot of calories. For example, a twelve ounce can of beer has one hundred and fifty calories. Three point yes. five ounces of wine uh, has eighty five. And then that's, that's just good. the basic stuff, Dr. Goose. Now, if you get into yeah. some of these sweeter drinks like a margarita or right. like a mudslide. Those yes, yes. those drinks have they're tasty, but they have a lot of calories. So right. the bottom line, if you're gonna try to lose weight, you know, number one, stick with water because alcohol, as you know, can dehydrate you. But hey, look, you know, it, you know, everybody enjoys a little bit of not everybody, but some people enjoy a little bit of alcohol at once. Well, there's nothing wrong right. with that. It's always in moderation. But just remember, you know, and that a lot a lot of beers, uh, for what I see nowadays, they have the low calorie ones. So, right, right. you know, if you pick your low-calorie beverages, uh, that should help you uh, with, with a, you know, smarter alcohol consumption. Right, and plus, let's face it, alcohol reduces your inhibitions. If you're drinking more alcohol, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. you're not really paying attention <laughs> to what you're eating. I forgot about that so, part, that's yeah. That's another reason. Yeah, your diet goes out the, the window. That's another problem that you can have. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see that happening, particularly at a, a you know tailgate scenario and that kind of thing. And you know, while we're on beverages, you know, the other thing we need to consider is to stay away from you know our carbonated our sodas uh, exactly. because so those are straight up loaded uh, with calories, and so we need to calories, watch those. Absolutely. You know, and you know, you have you have choices these days. You have your diet sodas. Now, now, I, you know, this may be a topic for a whole another show because I'm hearing a lot of controversy about diet drinks and whether they're actually right. good for you, even though they're marketed as being good. 
you know, but you know, I I mean, uh, that's that's something that we can we can definitely talk about. But basically, you know, watch the soda content. I myself have kind of fallen in love with some of the sparkling water. Uh, right. Um, uh, beverages that are out there. They have zero calories, uh, 100% natural ingredients. Because a lot of times, Dr. Gooch, I don't necessarily want, I just need that fizz sometimes, particularly if I'm eating something that's fried or whatever. So the bottom line is is, is to wash the sodas and, and look for other alternatives. And that's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, one of the recommendations that I saw, and I've never tried this, but it sounds like it may be at least semi-tasty. They said one low-calorie drink that you could get, because some people feel uncomfortable if they don't have something in their hand. Everyone else has a drink, and everyone's looking at you kind of strange. Uh, I recommend a wine spritzer, which is just white oh, yeah. wine. Okay soda water with a lemon twist, so it looks like you're having a drink. And this is a low-calorie drink. They said to sip it slowly and just walk around interacting with everyone. Remember, this is a social event. Slowly sipping on that. That way you still have a little bit of wine, but you're still mm-hmm. not dehydrating yourself and doing things in moderation. So that's another way to have a low-calorie alcoholic drink. And it's, it's actually, as you said, it's not going to really – add all those extra calories and sugar that we can get if we indulge too much. Right. And you still get your get your get your taste in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. you know? <laughs> I like the way you put that, get your taste in. Right. You still get your taste in. You just reminded me. <laughs> Like, and if you're at a party, you shouldn't be, you know, uh, inebriated to the point where you can't drive anyway. You just want right, to you know, exactly. get whatever, uh, you know, pleasure from that drink. You know, if you're a connoisseur, some people are wine connoisseurs, some people are uh, or, or uh, scotch or whatever they like and, and kind of go right. from that. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, um, you reminded me of something else when you've yeah. been tasting that let's say you're the one who's having the holiday party and okay. you're the one who's setting out everything. And this is something that I have to be mindful of myself as the cook. You're tasting while you're cooking, and uh-huh. it's amazing. And I actually have done this, and I shock myself how much you're actually eating while you're actually preparing the food because, of course, <laughs> you have to taste everything while you're cooking. And you're right. laughing because let's taste it. And they actually, some of the studies actually say you have to be mindful of that. Because that's why most cooks think about it. You go to their house, they're not even hungry because they pretty much have eaten their whole meal right. while they were cooking. So some of the recommendations include just getting a teaspoon, not use one of them big you know, stirring right. spoons. Get a teaspoon, taste the food before you season it, and taste it only one more time after you season it. And especially if this is your, your classic dish, you don't have to taste it every five minutes to make sure it still tastes okay. So exactly. just season it and go, just taste it twice. A small amount. The other thing is to mm-hmm. let your guests don't leave the leftovers around. So oh, if you yeah. made okay. it to the pecan pie, let your guests take the rest of it because trust me, if that's your famous pecan pie and you leave it around, you're going to be snacking on that the next day with a little scoop of ice cream on top of it. That's, let's face it. No one that's has true. that much willpower. So they said get, let your guests take what's, what's left over. You have leftover food, let your guests take it with them as they leave. I agree. That's you what know, I since you mentioned that, yeah, I did read a study about the fact just the sight of certain foods is, is a visual right. trigger. And they recommended if you have to store certain foods, you know, for example, like cookies, don't get the right. cookie jar that's made of glass 
And right. if you're a chocolate chip fan and you stand across the kitchen and you can look across there and see those big chocolate chips talking to you all the way across <laughs> the room, you don't have to do that. Go ahead and get a, a, a container or a jar or whatever you have to store that could trigger you to go that way. Get a solid container yes. that you can't see through because visuals can act as a trigger. Yeah, absolutely. They actually did a study that actually looked at people on their job, and they noticed they had a cookie jar. They had a clear cookie jar, as you just said, and an opaque or a cookie jar people couldn't see into. More uh-huh. people, if you think about it, as you said, the visual trigger ate from the, the cookie jar they could see in than they did from the opaque cookie jar. So that, as you said, obviously shows that visual triggers are more likely to stimulate us to go in and get those cookies if they're sitting in the cookie jar. So you're absolutely correct about that. Right, right. And uh, one thing I've also read was uh, making smart substitutions. Uh, Right. You know, a lot of us, like you said, we kind of crave some of the the carbohydrates and some of the sugar. And, you know, not all sugar, not all carbohydrates is bad. It is just the amount that we consume here in the U.S., And so, you know, it recommended trying, you know, instead of uh, some of the high sugary treats, try some frozen grapes, uh, you know, instead of candy, you know, or use air popped popcorn as opposed to the oil popped popcorn. And, of course, you can always, particularly if you're trying to get romantic, is do the strawberries and chocolate thing because, you know, now you're getting your, your, your fruit in. (laughs) <laughs> and and there's a lot of studies that say chocolate, particularly dark chocolate, is, right. is good for you. Yeah, yeah, more ways than one. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're right. Making smart substitutions, and we just talked about getting the smaller plates. And as you say, it's kind of like mindful eating, as you said. And yes. try not to go back for seconds. I mean, it's, it's hard okay. when you have a lot of good food. But as you said, if you get one plate, walk around a bit. Talk to people, socialize, drink a glass of water after that plate, and they and some of the studies have shown. And if you're still hungry for that second plate, fill it up with fruits and vegetables. And a lot of times you will actually feel satisfied after you do that. So don't just go back and fill it up with just like what you just had. And hopefully that's why they were saying, as you mentioned, the hydration, drinking the water before. That's why, like you said, hydration is so important before you eat because, as you said, some percentage of the time, people are really just thirsty. They're not really hungry. And then drinking more after water, of course, when they're drinking, <laughs> after right. you eat, even hydrate yourself more and kind of fill up your stomach so you don't feel as hungry. Right, right. And one of the last few things I looked at, and you can chime in on this as well, is, you know, I started out with, by, by talking about the mental mindset. And maybe we, right. could, we could close out with the mental mindset. And one of those things I read was, you got to stay relaxed in general in life right. because right. stress, and I think we talked about this earlier on another weekly wellness episode when we were talking about heart disease. Stress brings about a production of a hormone called cortisol, C-O-R-T-I-S-O-L. And a yeah. lot of times this can increase uh, in our bodies and therefore cause a lot of these bad reactions. So, you know, if you got to get into meditation, if you got to change your right. attitude or get around positive people, uh, right. Remember, you know, you know, every journey is going to have its bumps and, and bumps. So if you fall off one day, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, right. But you know, you know, it's one of those things where it's a mindset thing, and you have to have that straight in your mind. 
Exactly. And as you said, uh, let go of the stress and basically let go of the guilt. Just right. because you, let's say you overeat one day. I mean, no one's perfect. Don't feel like, oh, my goodness, I've fallen off the wagon. That's it. So I'm just going to nush for the rest of the week and just eat high-calorie foods. No, you fell off the wagon one day. And just try to slowly climb back on that wagon. As you said, be patient with yourself. Be forgiving of yourself. So don't right. be so hard. Like you said, let go of the stress and let go of the guilt. Because one day will not totally right. throw your diet or whatever your good eating habits completely off. But, of course, if you continue it for the next couple of weeks, yes, that can pack on the pounds. So just be a little bit more forgiving of yourself, too. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think that that was a, a lot of good techniques, Dr. Gooch. I'd like to go ahead and go to our second commercial break, so I want you to please stay with us and so that we could talk about cervical cancer. Absolutely. A very critical and important subject. I can't wait. That's going to be great. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and take our second commercial break, so please stay tuned so you can be informed. Do you have a business, product, service, or an event coming up? Is your current marketing getting you nowhere? Survival Radio Network is an award-winning network with over 1 million downloads. We're offering high-exposure 30-second spots on our network, reaching diverse demographics both locally and nationwide. Give us a call at 323-977-8172 or visit our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us today. SRN, we do radio. Do you have tax issues, owe back taxes, or need tax relief? Contact L&B Tax Service today. L&B offers you over 15 years of expertise and first-class tax service for individuals, professionals, and business owners. With nationwide service, you can easily find a location near you. Contact one of our tax professionals through our website, lbtaxservice.com. That's www.lbtaxservice.com. L&B Tax Service Incorporated. Tax professionals that you can trust. Do you know that having a dirty filter in your heating and air system can cause major damage to your unit and pollute the air in your home? Having proper maintenance to your heating and air system is just like getting a tune-up on your car. Because you want today and avoid spending unnecessary money tomorrow. Call Temperature Design Heating and Air today. 770-823-7160. That's 770-823-7160. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. The SRN. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to the weekly wellness show. 
your resource for better health here on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams, and my great guest today is Dr. Denise Gooch. Now, before the break, we had a good discussion with regard to ways to lose weight after the holidays. But we want to fast forward now to another serious topic. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, I, as a radiation oncologist, I treat this cancer uh, frequently. And Dr. Gooch, who's a radiation oncologist as well, also uh, treats treats this cancer, uh, unfortunately, uh, quite frequently. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, about 13,000 women will be diagnosed with this disease uh, this year, and about 4,000 will die from it. So I wanted to have Dr. Gooch on uh, to also help us bring it in from a woman's perspective with regard to cervical cancer. So, Dr. Gooch, I, I think I want to I want to start with, you know, maybe this is more for the men. Can you tell them what is the cervix and where is the cervix? It's probably obvious to women. Jump right on in. <laughs> but you no, know, and I know, of course, because you know, I'm a doctor, but. You know, I think we hear, a lot of times we hear terms, and we don't know necessarily. And I go through this when I deal with men. Everybody's heard of a prostate, but they don't know what the hell it is or what it does. (laughs) So (laughs) a lot of times, and they mispronounce it, they say prostrate as opposed to prostate. So we're here to educate. I didn't mean to rhyme there, but that's what, you know. But, but yeah, can we start out with that, Dr. Gooch? Absolutely. (laughs) Let's do an anatomy lesson. This cervix. When you look at the female anatomy, uh, she has the uterus, which is where she carries the baby. There's fallopian tubes where the actual, uh, when basically a woman, if you look at, she has ovaries where she actually has eggs, and the eggs come out of the ovaries. They go down to the fallopian tubes. They go into the uterus, and basically the baby grows into the uterus, all right? so But then when a woman gives birth, Okay, the opening of the uterus is actually called the cervix. That's what it is. It's actually the mouth or the opening of the uterus. So in order for a woman to give birth, this cervix has to open, okay? Then the baby goes through the birth canal or the vagina, and that's how a woman gives birth. So basically the cervix is what we call the opening of the vagina, and the reason this is important is because of the type of cells that line the cervix, that is called uh, squamous cells, they unfortunately can undergo some changes and what we call precancerous changes and unfortunately uh, can ultimately become cervical cancer. And that's what we're talking about right now. Mm. So the good news is ever since the 1940s, there has been a test called the pap smear, which pretty much hopefully everyone has heard of. Right. That a woman will undergo when she sees her, usually uh, OBGYN, but sometimes her family doctor, and she gets an examination, they'll take a swab, and they'll swab the inside of her cervix to look for any potential abnormal cells because, thank goodness, most uh, abnormal tests are in the pre-cancer stage, so most cases are diagnosed before it actually evolves into cancer. So that's the good news. And another thing that's really kind of frightening, prior to the 1940s, cervical cancer used to be one of the number one causes of death for women from the eight, in the 30s and 40s. Wow. So the death rate for cervical cancer has plummeted, thank goodness, 
because mm-hmm. of the uh, invention of the pap smear. Wow. And, you know, and this is uh, very different. I, I tell you, uh, I've done a lot of consulting uh, all over the world. Well, you know, not all over the world, but I'm working on it. But, you know, right. some of the diseases that we have, I won't say cured, but we've got a right. real good handle on it's right. a problem in certain certain parts of the world. I mean, like some of the vaccinations, people up and on about vaccinations. But you go to other countries, and a lot of people are dying from the, some of the things that we we hear about, but we don't necessarily deal with. Cervical cancer is one of them. Now, you mentioned that cervical cancer is, you know, uh, you know, not all cancers are. I mean, not no cancer is good, but out of the spectrum, it, you know, it's not a lot of people. Comparatively speaking, I want to emphasize comparatively speaking, they get cervical cancer. But if you go to certain countries or certain other countries, cervical cancer is real and is one of the top killers of women. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, but thank goodness for the pap smear. Uh, but, but, yeah, what are some of those symptoms that, that one might uh, uh, experience, uh, you know, with cervical cancer? Right. Some of the more common symptoms, and women need to be aware of this and make sure they tell their doctor about it, especially mm-hmm. if they're only seeing their doctor once a year or maybe they haven't had a pelvic and pap smear since they had a baby three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Abnormal vaginal bleeding. Remember I told you these are women usually in their 30s and 40s, so they have their monthly bleeding, but let's say they're bleeding in between their normal monthly cycle. And okay. another thing that a woman has to be aware of and mention to her doctor, vaginal discharge, an abnormal vaginal discharge. Usually it has an odor. Now, that could be certain types of vaginal infections that we could talk about on another time, but they need mm. to bring this to the doctor's attention if they notice an abnormal vaginal discharge. Also, painful sex. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that can be a symptom also, especially if that wasn't a symptom before as well as back pain. Now, we're really concerned if someone presents with a symptom of back pain, and unfortunately, just like you as a radiation oncologist, you have heard that because usually that's the more advanced cases, but women have often told me that was what they noticed. They kind of almost ignored the vaginal discharge. They ignored the bleeding, but when the back pain started, that's what made them go to the doctor. Mm, Wow. Well, well, what about yeah. risk factors, uh, Dr. Gooch, uh, with regard right. to this? You know, um, you know, are there certain infections? Are there certain uh, lifestyle uh, habits? Uh, you know, I know, you know, chlamydia and and, uh, and some of those infections were, you know, it, you know, having a chlamydial infection can increase the likelihood of 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 you know having cervical cancer. Uh, right. What are some of those? What are some of those things that might uh, let's say, increase the chances of a woman having cervical cancer. Right. Well, according to the American Cancer Society, they looked at the cases of cervical cancer, and some of the top, I guess you'd say, 10 risk factors they mentioned were, number one, tobacco smoking, which I find interesting. Mm. As you and I both Mm. know, tobacco smoking seems to increase the risk of a whole lot of things. Yes, yeah. Including lung cancer, breast cancer, and some of the other cancers, but, yeah, also cervical cancer. Um, Any woman who's immunosuppressed, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it's HIV infection or let's say they have, they're on immunosuppression because they're a kidney transplant patient or something like that, or they've Mm -hmm. had some other kind of organ transplant. They have immune, uh, their immune system has been suppressed. 
as you just mentioned, chlamydia infections tend to increase the risk of cervical cancer. Being overweight, I'm not really sure why that would increase the risk, but that's also uh, one of the other uh, risk factors as mentioned by the American Cancer Society, as well as long-term use of oral contraceptives. You know, it's kind of interesting because, of course, we, the last talk we gave was does the uh, using oral contraceptives over a long-term basis also increase the risk of breast cancer, but apparently that's one of the other risk factors. Having three or more full-time pregnancies, um, that's another risk factor they mentioned, especially if that first full-time pregnancy was before the age of 17. Now, some of the other ones that were not as clear-cut, they mentioned maybe having a family history of cervical cancer as well okay. as having uh, multiple uh, sexual partners. So all of those were other uh, possible risk factors that would uh, potentially cause a woman to have increased risk for cervical cancer. Interesting, interesting. Well, Dr. Goose, can you take us through what I'd like to do is can you take everybody through the diagnosis and the treatment? And then what I'd like right. to end on is prevention, because that's our biggest thing here is the prevention right. part. So, right. so you mentioned earlier about, you know, the pap smear. Uh, right. And you, talk, you know what we're looking for, what the doctor's looking for. They send it off to the lab. Let's say it comes back abnormal. Okay, that's a good point. So it comes back abnormal. Up? Mm -hmm. Right, so it comes back abnormal. So number one, the first thing that a woman should make sure is that she is sent to, so let's say your family doctor did this, make sure she sees a specialist, and okay. preferably a GYN specialist, okay? So if this was no offense to the primary cares, but this is something that it needs to be managed correctly, so she needs to be seen by a GYN specialist. At that time, the GYN specialist would do another exam, and there's different things they can do. They can actually do something called a leak procedure, which is kind of like what they call a hot wire procedure, where they can actually kind of scrape off more cells so they can actually look at it under the microscope to see just how bad it is and how invasive it is and hopefully see if it's still just pre-malignant versus malignant cells. Uh, they can actually undergo a cone biopsy. So that can actually have a biopsy of the cervix to actually look at the cells to see if they're, as I just mentioned, in the pre-malignant state versus already transitioned to cervical cancer. Now, that's actually the good, and a lot of times, the other thing I need to mention now, the uh, U.S. Preventive Task Force, um, as well as the American Cancer Society, really recommend women only undergo a pap smear every three years. However, and I need to emphasize this, and every woman needs to be aware of this, however, if a woman has an abnormal pap smear, she needs to have that done a repeat, okay, of whether it was a leak or it was a cone or something. You need to follow up with that maybe every six months or definitely every year. Do not wait three years. That's important, okay? Wow. So when you okay. look at these cancer screening guidelines, these guidelines are for women who have had normal pap smears, okay? With the HPV test, human papillomavirus test, which, as you and I have said, we're going to talk about a little bit more because 90% of cervical cancers are caused by HPV or human papillomavirus. So as you said, uh, so let's say worst-case scenario that there is a pre-malignant condition. Now the, the surgeon, the GYN doctor, can discuss different treatment options. If it's only a small amount, as we just said, they need to undergo careful and constant screening. 
if it looks like there's a little bit more involvement and maybe there's a lot of uh, pre-malignant cells even in the canal, they can discuss different surgical options. Uh, one of the options is a complete hysterectomy. Um, of course, that's an aggressive surgery. And for younger women, sometimes they can do something less aggressive called a tylectomy, especially if a woman still wants to maintain her ability to carry children. That way they don't take out the uterus, but they just basically take out the cervix, okay? Um, and in a woman who's pre-malignant, uh, pre-menopausal, uh, one of the other surgical options is to take out the uterus but leave the ovaries so she won't go into complete menopause. Mm-hmm. But, of course, mm-hmm. if it's an older woman that you're not as worried about, usually the surgery is to take out the uterus as well as to take out the ovaries. Well, and then what about those stages where where you and I come in? Um, right. Where where you know patients uh well, well, who's a candidate for radiation therapy? Uh, right. In this scenario. Right now, you and I both know as radiation oncologists. So when it's pre malignant, we don't we don't come into play. It's only when it's actually invasive. So mm-hmm. we're talking about invasive, the stage one where the the abnormal cells, the actual cancerous cells, not the precancerous, the actual cancerous cells, are thank goodness just limited to the cervix. Okay, mm-hmm. but there is some concern because maybe it's not just a small amount, possibly it involves the entire cervix. So the discussion can be if the surgeon thinks that they can get it all out. If it's only a small amount, if it's a large amount, as you know, there's something called a stage 1A and a stage 1B is a lot more involvement of the cervix over a larger area. Then they don't do the surgery. They send them to us for us to do concurrent chemotherapy, external beam radiation therapy, followed by brachytherapy, which can be an implant or just inserting a radioactive source into the cervix. Now, that's for the more advanced stage 1s, 1Bs. For the stage 2As and 2Bs, surgery is not even recommended. Those are the ones who have to get the concurrent chemotherapy and radiation therapy, mm-hmm. as well as the stage 3s. Unfortunately, the stage 4s, um, that's when it's already spread to either the local organs, the bladder or the rectum, or it's already metastasized. That's when it's really important that you get all of the specialists involved because chemotherapy will definitely be part of the treatment. But as you and I know, you have to also get pelvic control because, unfortunately, if it's a stage four, the woman is oftentimes having symptoms. She's having pain. She's having bleeding. So we still play a role in this, not so much in a curative fashion, but to relieve symptoms. So as you and I both know, that's when we still will give treatment to the pelvis to try to relieve especially the bleeding symptoms and some of, some of the pain. Right, right. So, so in essence, there's no one cure, one cure-all for it. It depends on the stage. I right. think, you know, most people know that a lot of cancers are divided up into stages from uh, zero, one, two, three, and four, with four right. being the worst, four Right. Usually means, usually, not always, uh, except for the head and neck, but usually means that it's spread outside of the area uh, of that it started. And so right. based on that stage, that requires different types of treatment. And, uh, you know, so that's one of the things that this is why pre-screening is so important. And like you right. said, seeing a specialist about this is very, very important. Right, because it, you're right, the survival makes a difference because if yes. it's obviously 
uh, diagnosed when it's pre-malignant, of course, you're talking about 90-plus percent survival. Unfortunately, as the stage goes up, the survival goes down. And even in the best-case scenarios, which was actually, if you look at even for the stage ones, the five-year survival is in the 70 to 80 percentile. It's still not the 90 that we like and above. So... And the higher the stage, as you mentioned, unfortunately, the lower the percentage rate. As a matter of fact, according to the American Cancer Society, looking at all stages from 2007 to 2013, the five-year survival rate for all stages together was only 67.1%. percent mm, mm. So that's concerning. So, it's, so it's definitely early diagnosis is important. And I see that's why we're having the January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. So, Dr. Gooch, we got about eight minutes left. Okay. Take us through pre- pre- prevention. What what can we? We already looked at this and said, Hey, look, you know, we can we can work with this, but it's always with any cancer. If you can prevent it, then that's right. the best thing to do. What can we do on this? What can women do? Well, right now there is something called an HPV vaccine. HPV it stands for Human Papilloma Virus. Okay, HPVs are basically a group of more than 150 related viruses. Okay, now these papillomaviruses are attracted to different types of cells in the body called squamous epithelial cells. And these are found in the surface of the skin and moist surfaces called mucosal surfaces in the vagina, um, the anus, um, that's the backside, the cervix, the vulva, also in men. Uh, men also in the foreskin and urethra, also in the um, skin surfaces of the inner mouth, as well as the nose and the throat, okay, and the inner eyelids. So what that means is now that we have a vaccine that these HPV viruses can actually cause, it actually causes 90% of the cervical cancers as wow. well as many of the vaginal cancers I just mentioned. All these mm-hmm. skin surfaces that have these type of um, squamous cells, the vulvar cancers, the penile cancers, as well as a lot of the head and neck cancers. As you and I mm-hmm. both know, they're noticing right. that uh, 60 to 70% of head and neck cancers are caused by HPV mm-hmm. viruses. Right. So that's what's good about had currently having a vaccine, and the American Cancer Society recommends that all young people, now a lot of parents who are listening yeah. to this have probably heard that they recommend that their daughters from the ages of 11 to 26 are vaccinated. However, now the um, CDC recommends that everyone, males and females, undergo vaccination with the HPV vaccine. Wait, wait, hold on. For the reasons I just mentioned. <laughs> wait, no. I thought, did you say male? Hold on. Oh, yes. <laughs> wait, now. We know we got to get a flu shot and all this stuff. Are you adding on another shot? Now, and then I, I'm, I'm saying, now, I can see men out there saying, this is a woman's disease. I don't have a cervix. Why do I? Well, we just said um, this is oftentimes sexually transmitted, okay? So more than likely her partner is going to be, well, more than likely, or the partner that can transmit the HPV virus to her, remember I told you that the men can also get that, would be a male. right. So right. if you vaccinate both people, okay, you mm-hmm. decrease 
her risk of getting cervical cancer, all right, you decrease his risk of getting head and neck cancer as well as penile cancer. So you're actually, as well as anal cancer, so you're actually protecting both people from some of these HPV-related cancers. So this is actually a good thing. And uh, a lot of the parents have probably heard about the Gardasil, you know, that's been around since the 90s. There was some controversy about it. Mm -hmm. And that actually covered the HPV HPV viruses 611, 16, and 18. Those are the most common. Now, Mm -hmm. since um, 19, I believe it was 19, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2014, there was a new Gardasil. It's called Gardasil 9. It was approved in 2014. It actually has immunity to nine different HPVs, to 6, 11, 16, 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58. And the good news is that definitely covers greater than 90% of the HPV-related diseases as I just mm. mentioned, for males and females. So that's more than one type of HPV. It's kind of like the flu shot. You know, that's more than right. one different type of flu virus. And so right. uh, the broad spectrum uh, vaccinations are, are the one that's, that, 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 you know, the medical industry is still developing. Uh, but at the same time, we want to cover as much uh, as we can. And, and I'd like to emphasize, you know, to the audience, you know, look, the Week of Wellness Show is we're not meant to, to be your doctor. Or, or, or diagnose or treat any type of disease. Uh, but we're giving you information for you to go to your primary care physician, go to your gynecologist, and talk about these things. Uh, what we want you to be is an informed patient. Uh, and, you know, just like you've been informed about any other uh, area, being a consumer or whatever, you need to be mostly informed about your health and knowing Absolutely. these kinds of things because – as 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 we mentioned, you know the we, you know this is one disease that you know like Dr. Gooch said, you know we we could cure it. It could be cured. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but why get it in the first place? And exactly. Have to deal and with treatment. Right. In the 1940s, before the Pap smear, it was one of the number one causes of death for young women. And as you so accurately stated, it is still one of the number one causes yeah. of death in developing countries. It still right. is. And Very in much. those countries, women are not undergoing regular pap smears as it is recommended in this country. So you're absolutely correct. Why not get something that could prevent it from happening in the first place? Right, right. Now, do you see a lot of this in your practice, uh, Dr. Coach? Well, you know, it's thank goodness I don't see it that often. And what I don't like is that when I do see it, it's usually advanced. So okay. that's why, that's as we good. said... You're right, exactly. Early detection is the key. Um, I'm not real clear why it's so advanced by the time. Of course, you know, they would only be referred to us, but why Why would I have a 32-year-old with a stage 3B? That's, that's right. basically where it's already spread outside of the uterus, basically is involved in lymph nodes, and it's actually causing pressure on the ureter, so they usually have some swelling of the kidneys, what they call hydronephrosis. And that's usually, as you said, that's oftentimes what causes the back pain. That's why I mentioned that earlier. That's what I oftentimes see. So that actually is concerning to me to have a young person to come in, and then we're in there trying to give them concurrent chemoradiation. 
and just scheduling all of that. You know, they have families, and you're trying to work with that, but, of course, you're trying to save their lives because, right. as I just said, uh, the five-year survival for all stages is only 67%, and actually you break it down by stages. Once you get to the stage 3Bs, their survival is only in the 30 and 40 percentile, so it's, um, it's not good. So you're right, the best is detection or even better, prevention. Early detection or prevention. We're actually fortunate that we actually have this vaccine that can prevent greater than 90%. But as you were saying, that doesn't mean that women should stop going and getting their pelvic and pap smears. Don't kind of defeat the whole purpose because that's still maybe maybe 10% that still could potentially get the cervical cancer. So you still need to do that screening, okay? So women still need to remember we said every three years if you're having a normal pap smear, Anything right. is abnormal, you need to follow up at least every year, maybe every six months with the GYN specialist. Okay. Well, Dr. Gooch, you've been very informative. I greatly appreciate this. I'm quite sure the women and men out there appreciate that. So yes. I want to thank you thank for coming you. and talking to us about weight and talking to us, talking to us about cervical cancer. My pleasure. Uh, a pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, again, we thank you uh, for uh, listening to us. So with that, we'll conclude this episode of the Weekly Wellness Show. If you missed any part of this podcast, you can always go back and listen to it. Taking us out is a group of jazz artists collectively known as In Groove. So until next week, be happy, be healthy, and be kind. Ooh.